What's up, everyone? Happy two-year anniversary to me. It is the two-year anniversary, December 10th, of this podcast, The Will Ford Show. It's been an absolutely crazy ride. I wasn't sure when I first started this thing how it would go. And, you know, I've had some ups and downs, certainly, and consistently. consistency is something that I've certainly struggled with. I'll be the first to admit it. But I'm happy that I've made it to year two, and I'm looking to keep this train rolling, and I'm having a lot of fun doing this when I do get the time to do it. And so, got a great two-year anniversary show for you today. I'm very concerned with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, specifically Tom Brady, and how this Patriot offense has functioned really over the course of the whole season. Hasn't been that sharp. Tom Brady showing his age. We'll talk about that. Nobody in the NFC East wants to make the playoffs, apparently. And the race between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles is utterly atrocious. Uh, The Patriots also in the news for more alleged cheating. Seems like Spygate Part 2, the sequel of Spygate from way back when. Uh, Another instance of that coming up. The college football playoff is set, and the Heisman Trophy finalists are in place, too, to go to New York. So all of that coming up here on the Will Ford Show. Let's dive in. Like I said, I'm very concerned with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, and it's specifically their offense. Their defense, I think, is one of, if not the best in football, and it's certainly the best secondary in football, I think. McCourty and Stephon Gilmore, that's the best cornerback tandem in the league. And they've combined for, I believe, nine interceptions. And right now, Gilmore, I think, is in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL. I'm not worried about their defense. I think their defense can stop teams. They've proven it. They've held some of the top offenses in football to... 20 points or less, sometimes even under 10 points. I'm not concerned with their defense, but Tom Brady and this offense is what I'm most concerned about. Now, Tom Brady doesn't have the shiniest of toys to play with at wide receiver. He does have Julian Edelman, who is his go-to, but Edelman, because he's been such a threat over the years, he's getting double-teamed more often now than he ever has. There's no Rob Gronkowski. Nikhil Harry is a nice rookie receiver for this team, but he's just not a playmaker for Tom Brady. And really, other than Edelman, they don't have anyone else on the outside. Philip Dorsett's okay. They got rid of Josh Gordon. They had Antonio Brown for one week and cut him. Like they They just don't have any help at wide receiver. And that's something you can't ignore. But also, Tom Brady's kind of dealt with this on and off for years, not having steady weapon weaponry around him. And to put this in perspective, how bad Tom Brady has been this season, Eli Manning started last night for the New York Giants against the Philadelphia Eagles, and it's presumably his, his last start of his career for the New York Giants, uh, if he, unless he decides to go you know, play elsewhere. Um, But that's probably he's going to be his last start for the New York Giants as they'll move on with Daniel Jones. 
But Eli Manning last night against the Eagles had a higher passer rating than Tom Brady has had since the end of October around Halloween. So Eli Manning's been on the bench for weeks. Dating back all the way to like I think like week four or five. And Eli Manning comes off the bench, plays against the Philadelphia Eagles, and has a higher passer rating in one night compared to a collection of games since the end of October. Now, Tom Brady does have 3,400 passing yards, which is sixth in the league. He is moving the ball down the field uh, in terms of yards you know, per game yards this season. He has 19 touchdown passes, which is tied for 13th, so around middle of the pack, seven interceptions, which isn't terrible, tied for 14th. But the 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 roughest part of Tom Brady's stat line this season, it's probably his completion percentage and his quarterback rating, his QBR. And so now his QBR is 51.9, which is 18th in the league. Far below what we're accustomed to seeing from Tom Brady. And he is 42 years old. I I think he's just starting to show his age. And if you look at his completion percentage as well, just a tick over 60% completions. Uh, That's just not good. That is not the efficient Tom Brady that we're used to seeing. And something else that's kind of different for this Patriots team as well is the running game is not as strong. Uh, Over the last several seasons, the Patriots have really made the running game a focal point in the offense, used the running game to get Tom Brady going. Because if we remember, 8, 10 years ago, Tom Brady used to throw the ball 40, 50 times a game because they didn't have much of a running game. And so now they've kind of went away with that as Brady has aged. But now the running game is not really working at all. And Brady's just not as accurate as he used to be. So he can't even hit those checkdowns to his receivers. Can't hit James White out of the backfield. Sonny Michelle, Rex Burkhead. He can't hit those guys. And it's really hurting this offense. And against the Kansas City Chiefs rematch from last year's AFC Championship game. The Patriots really only had a couple of trick plays that kept the game close. I mean, they were dead to rights in the third quarter and the chiefs started making a few mistakes and new England had a halfback pass. James white hitting a rookie receiver, a receiver that was on the practice squad to start the year. Tom Brady had a, scramble run of like 25 plus yards it's his longest scramble like ever and they had a a play go in their favor where Travis Kelsey caught a ball for a first down ended up running behind the line to gain fumbled the football and the Patriots got the ball back now blown calls is another thing we'll kind of touch on here but other than a few plays the Patriots weren't in that game and so if you're if you're telling me that the only way the Patriots can win is with a a few trick plays and a couple of plays going their way and they really can't dominate at the point of attack running the football passing 
or or anything like that, they can't keep games close, then I don't think this team is a Super Bowl contender. And I hate betting against Tom Brady and the Patriots because I'm always wrong when I do. But this year, I think, is different. Tom Brady's 42 years old. And I think he's just finally starting to show it. And I really think we're starting to see the decline of the Patriots. They're still the best coach team in football. They have the best special teams unit, one of the best defenses, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, arguably the best quarterback of all time. But right now, he's not playing like it. And they've got to find a way to get things going offensively, spice up the offense, because right now their offense is nothing to write home about. Now, the Patriots did have a couple plays not go in their favor. The Travis Kelsey fumble, uh, where he ran backwards behind the line again, fumbled the football, and I believe it was Gilmore who picked it up, started running the other way, and they blew it dead. They said Kelsey was down by contact, but when they reviewed it, Belichick threw out a challenge flag, and uh, it was ruled a fumble, but since they blew it dead, they had to give the Patriots the ball at the spot of the recovery. And Gilmore would have ran it all the way for a touchdown. So did they get hosed there? Sure. But I have to argue that's exactly the same thing that happened in the AFC Championship two years ago against the Jacksonville Jaguars where Miles Jack recovered a fumble. They said he was touched, but he was never touched. And he would have scored with it, and that would have changed the whole outlook of the AFC Championship. The Jags would have been in the Super Bowl taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, and we could have been looking at a, a history could have been completely different. So Patriots fans this week have no reason to complain, have no right to complain. Welcome to the rest of the NFL and what teams have been dealing with for years. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the Dallas Cowboys have had calls over the years that have totally screwed their chances of making deep playoff runs. Patriots fans have no right, no reason to complain this week. And then another play as well, Nikhil Harry caught a touch or caught a pass and he was heading towards the far boundary on the left side, tiptoed and lunged for the end zone got to the pylon, but they said he was out of bounds. The Patriots are out of challenges, and they couldn't challenge that ruling, and that touchdown, it wasn't caught. It was just caught out of bounds at the three-yard line, two-yard line, whatever it was. But if you think about it, yes, should that call have went your way? Sure. But you had first and goal from the two or three yard line. And you're telling me that you can't punch it in. You can't run that football in the end zone. You can't draw up some kind of play to, to get you in the end zone. You have four downs. And I think Brady ended up getting sacked on two plays. I know at least one and they had to kick a field goal to make it a seven point game or maybe a 10 point game at that time, whatever it was. But you had four chances to punch it in the end zone from the two or three yard line and you couldn't do it. So I don't I don't want to hear complaining from Patriots fans. They have no reason to complain. Their offense sucks. And quite frankly, they deserve to have a few calls go their way because historically they've been known to have a bunch of calls go their way for years. But 
enough of that. I want to shift to this. Hopefully I can calm down a little bit. Uh, the NFC East race, race, excuse me, or should I say the NFC least race, uh, it's quite honestly pathetic. <laughs> it really is. You have the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, Washington Redskins, New York Giants. The Redskins and the Giants have been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. We know that they are not good teams. And quite honestly, there are there are one or two teams in every division every year that just aren't good. And we know that. But there's always two teams in every division who are competitive and one that really stands out. And this year is kind of an, an anomaly where we haven't really seen this for a couple of years where a team that's below 500 has a chance to win their division and make the playoffs and host a playoff game. I think the last time we saw this was the Carolina Panthers several years ago, and they ended up winning the NFC South. Kind of sad, kind of pathetic, but that's how it happens sometimes. And right now in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys are 6-7, and seven, and the Philadelphia Eagles are 6-7. and seven. They have a critical Week 16 matchup coming up. The Cowboys won their matchup earlier in the year, so since they have the same record, the Cowboys hold the tiebreaker. They still control the NFC East. But quite honestly, I don't have faith in either of these two teams to win the division. If you're looking at the Cowboys, they have the Los Angeles Rams, then the Eagles, and then the Redskins to close out their season. And for the Eagles, they just played the Giants last night in a game they should have absolutely dominated and won. They did end up winning it, but in overtime, they were down 17-3 to in the second half, came back and won. That doesn't prove to me at all that they're a great team and that they can win their division. But if you look at what they have coming up, they have three division opponent, opponents coming up. So they have the Redskins, then the Cowboys, and then the Giants to close out the year. So they're that's a pretty soft schedule, if you, if you ask me. They should beat the Redskins, although the Redskins have kind of played teams tough recently. Cowboys, Eagles in Week 16 is going to be the game of the week, probably the game of the season. And then you have the Giants in Week 17. Depending on how Week 16 goes, Week 17 could be a whole different thing. And if you're looking at the Cowboys, they have the, like I said, they have the Rams, Eagles, Redskins. So I don't think the Cowboys can beat the Rams next Sunday. The Rams are fighting for a wild card spot. I don't think they're going to get it, but I don't think the Cowboys can beat the Rams even with all this rest. The Cowboys are have not won a game this season against teams that are 500 or better. So that doesn't give me any hope, any reason to believe that they can beat the Rams who are above 500. I I don't think either the either of these two teams wants to win the division. I I just don't it's mind-boggling. I think the Cowboys will lose to the Rams. And with this Eagles matchup, if the Eagles are still below 500, I think the Cowboys have a shot to win. It's weird to say, like I'm, I'm basing it off the fact that the Cowboys haven't, haven't beat a 500 or better team this year. But I think that's how the season is going for the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are a more talented team. I think this team is more talented than... They're probably one of the four most talented rosters in football. 
Their record is six and seven, but I think they have ten and three. They have ten and three talent and three and ten coaching. That's the thing with the Dallas Cowboys. I think the coaching is the problem. Their kicker issue is a problem. Brett Maher was just recently cut, and they signed Kai Forbeth for the rest of the season. We'll see if he's a step up. Who knows? But I think the Cowboys are a far more talented team, and they're they're going to get to play the Eagles, who have lost Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey. It looks like they've lost Lane Johnson as well. Uh, there's no reason why the Cowboys shouldn't win, but I'm not going to sit here and make a prediction because I don't know which team is better. I, I don't. On paper, the Cowboys are, but what does paper mean anymore? The NFC least race, it's just, I'm not even going to try and pick a winner of this division. The Cowboys won the division last year. There hasn't been back-to-back division winners in the NFC East since 2003. The last team to do it was the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll see if the Cowboys can somehow do it here in 2019. I don't know, man. Uh, Oh, that's just disgusting. But anyways, back to the Patriots. They were caught cheating once again. Looks like Spygate Part 2, the sequel. The Patriots play the Bengals this week who have one win on the season. That's a game for the Patriots where they can try and get their offense right. But apparently a production crew was at the Cleveland Browns-Cincinnati Bengals game. And... I guess they filmed the sideline and they were trying to catch signs from the Bengals coaching staff, calling plays, defensive checks, whatever it is. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's not cool. That's not allowed. That's kind of outside the realm of filming. You're supposed to film the team, not signs on the, on the coaching staff and cheap, but Bill Belichick head coach for the Patriots says that no one on his staff knew about this production crew within the organization going to this game and filming these signs on the sideline. I don't buy that for one second. The Patriots have been doing this for years. Let's face it. This is just one of the few times that they've gotten caught deflate gate a couple of years ago in the AFC championship against the Colts in a game they won 42-7. to Probably wouldn't have made much of a difference if the balls had been properly aired up. And then now you have this instance. The Patriots have been cheating for years. Let's be honest. But if we're actually being honest with ourselves, how much of an impact does all of this really have on the outlook of this organization? Like, how much does deflating a ball really have an impact on the game. They won 42-7 to against the Colts. The Colts couldn't have done anything in that AFC Championship game, even if the if Tom Brady was throwing with a properly inflated ball. I don't think it made much of a difference. And then you're looking at these Spygate allegations and these, these situations. Yeah, they're not right, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean... What can you do? I, I I don't really know how much of an impact 
they've had on the outcomes of games over the years. Now, is this something that the NFL needs to look into and needs to stop? Absolutely. Uh, there's no room for cheating in the NFL, especially with a, a team that's won six Super Bowls. It kind of brings into question the uh, legitimacy of these six Super Bowls. But saying that, you kind of brings up an interesting point. In the Patriots-Seahawks Super Bowl a couple, year, a couple years back, I believe it was 2014, the Patriots then forced the Seahawks to throw the ball inside the five-yard line when they could have run it with beast mode and, and walked off and won the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Like The Patriots, there, were, there was nothing to the Patriots coming back from 25 points down against the Falcons. That had nothing to do with them cheating or reading signs. That was just the Falcons getting too complacent, not running the clock out, and allowing the Patriots to get back into the game. That. So the cheating, those arguments don't have any validity in Super Bowl scenarios where the Patriots have come back and won. But as a whole, it's something that the league needs to look at because it's been going on for years. And of all teams, though, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be the ones to point the finger at the New England Patriots. Of all teams, one win, you're fighting for the number one pick in the NFL draft, and you're worried about the the Patriots stealing your signs. And it's a game you're trying to like you're trying to lose for the rest of the season, so you can get that number one pick and draft Joe Burrow in the NFL draft with the first pick. Like of all teams, it's not a team that is fighting for something. But it does bring awareness to it, and it does protect these teams down the stretch who play the Patriots that have something to play for from kind of being infringed upon and and having that fairness taken away from them. So it's a situation that the NFL needs to look at. It's been going on for years, though. All right, so... College football playoff is set. Let's transition now to college football. Enough NFL talk. Enough Patriot talk. Never thought I'd ever talk that much about the Patriots in one episode. Uh, but the college football playoff is set. And we have uh, an order that I don't think is necessary. Uh, you can argue the top two, three, and four. I like it. Uh, number one is LSU, number two is Ohio State, number three is Clemson, number four is Oklahoma. I predicted that Oklahoma was going to get in to the college football playoff. Georgia was no match for LSU. They would have gotten their second loss of the season by losing in the SEC championship. And yeah, they were going to get bumped out. And Oklahoma took care of Baylor. They were going to get in. Clemson at number three. I am totally on board with it because they are an undefeated team, but they don't really have a signature win. They've played cupcakes all year. If you're looking at number one and number two, there's this is where you can get some debate. This is where you can hash out who is truly the number one team in the country. And if you're looking at LSU, I think what really put them over the top is, yes, they dominated in the SEC championship over Georgia 37-10, to 10, but they have five wins this year against top 10 teams. And two of them were in the top five at the time. So number four, Georgia, on Saturday, 
that's one of their wins. They defeated then number three Alabama in the beginning of November, then number seven Florida in mid October, and then they played number nine Texas in week two of the college football season. They've got five top ten wins. I mean, that's really difficult to go against. But if you look at Ohio State, I think you could argue that Ohio State is the toughest team or the best team in college football. They have five top 25 wins. They beat number 25, Michigan State, number 13, Wisconsin, number 8, Penn State, number 13, Michigan, and number 8, Wisconsin. I mean, those are no slouches either. And you could argue that they had the toughest road to get to the playoff and win out in out of any team worthy of getting into the college football playoff. They played then number eight Penn State on November 23rd, then then number 13 Michigan, and then they played number eight Wisconsin over the weekend in the Big Ten Championship. That's two, or it's three top 15 teams and two top 10 teams in a three-week span. And those are tough teams, and they won. And you could really argue that Ohio State's the best team in football. I. I don't really have a problem either way with LSU being number one or Ohio State being number one. You could argue it either way, and I'm not I'm not mad about either of them. I'm really not. Considering the strength of their schedules, what what adversity both of these teams faced going into the end of the season. I'm fine with this order here. I'm fine with LSU being number one and Ohio State being number two. If it had been flipped, I'd still be fine with it. But it is difficult to overcome five top 10 wins in a season, especially when one of those wins is Alabama and you knock them off the pedestal. So, But we have our Heisman Trophy candidates set. And actually, before I get into that, these top four matchup, this top four, looking at the matchups, we'll do a quick prediction real quick. These games won't happen until December 28th, so I will obviously kind of refine my predictions as we get closer. But just on the surface... LSU will take on Oklahoma, and Ohio State would take on Clemson. Now, if we remember the last time Ohio State and Clemson met in the college football playoff, Clemson smoked Ohio State. Shutout, 31 to nothing. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think Ohio State's defense is the best defense in the country, and I think Ohio State's offense can match up with Clemson. Justin Fields was injured going into the Big Ten Championship against Wisconsin. He was around 80 85%. He said he's going to be 100% by the by the college football college football playoff. I believe him. I and that's why I think him with JK Dobbins the engine that makes that offense go. I think they're going to be able to match Trevor Lawrence in that Clemson offense. And I think with the strength that they have defensively with Chase Young coming off the edge, I think Ohio State's the better team than Clemson, although they are an offensive juggernaut. So I like Ohio State in that matchup. And if you're looking at LSU and Oklahoma, this is a this is an interesting matchup because it's a matchup where neither team has a strong defense. Oklahoma is notoriously known for not having a great defense, and LSU has a remarkably weak defense for an SEC power. They they are allowing over 20 points a game compared to if you look at Ohio State, I believe just a hair above 10. So, yeah, LSU defense is not as strong this year. 
And that's why I think Oklahoma is going to have a chance, and especially with the way Jalen Hurts plays. Jalen Hurts r- throwing the football, running the football, kind of an unstoppable force. And then LS, LSU's quarterback, Joe Burrow, he slings it all over the field. He's broken multiple SEC records. That's going to be a great matchup. If I had to give the edge to somebody, it would be LSU, which would mean LSU and Ohio State matchup in the college football playoff national championship. But I will save that prediction for when we get closer closer to the playoff and we kind of see how game plans are going to shake out. But it's really funny, though, if you're looking at LSU, Ohio State, and Oklahoma being in the college football playoff. LSU's quarterback, Joe Burrow, was at Ohio State two years ago. He left and went to LSU. Georgia's backup quarterback, Justin Fields, went to Ohio State. He's starting. And Alabama, they benched their starting quarterback for their backup to attack of Iloa. Jalen Hurts then leaves Alabama, transfers to Oklahoma, and he's leading this team to the college football playoff. And Alabama is out of the college football playoff this year. It's kind of funny how that works out. That's really funny. So Georgia's backup quarterback is leading Ohio State. Ohio State's backup quarterback is leading the Tigers. And Alabama's backup quarterback is leading Oklahoma. It's kind of funny how that works out. And Alabama is not in the playoff and neither is Georgia. So, but now to close out the two year anniversary episode, Heisman finalist, they have been named. These four will go to New York, two from Ohio state, one from LSU, one from Oklahoma. You can probably guess who they're going to be from Ohio state. We have chase young star defensive end, uh, quarterback, Justin Fields from Ohio state. Joe Burrow from LSU, and Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma. Now, I think I went through this the last episode, but now we have some updated statistics. I think the front runner is Joe Burrow. He's got multiple SEC records this season, almost 5,000 yards passing. He's got 4,700 yards passing, 48 touchdown passes, and six picks. And he's got a 77% completion percentage. I mean, that's remarkably efficient. That's incredible. And if you're looking at the two from Ohio State, and this is actually, Ohio State is now the first college in history to have an offensive and defensive player be finalists in the, in the Heisman Trophy race. Chase Young has 44 tackles this season, 16 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles. He is the best player in college football, the best prospect he will be in the NFL draft. May not go number one just because of the needs at quarterback for various teams, but he's the best prospect in football, in college football. Justin Fields not really doesn't really have a deep ball ability. He can throw a pretty deep ball, but he only has 2,900 yards passing, just a hair under 3,000. But he has 40 touchdown passes and one interception. That's peak efficiency. And he has a 67% completion percentage. It's pretty darn good. And then you combine that with his running ability, 471 rushing yards and 10 rushing touchdowns. He's got 50 total touchdowns accounted for this year. 
that's that's darn good. And then if you look at Oklahoma quarterback Jalen Hurts, he has 3,600 yards passing, 32 touchdown passes, seven interceptions, a 71% completion percentage, almost 72. But the this X factor with Jalen Hurts, he's got 1,200 rushing yards and 18 rushing touchdowns. He's accounting for 50 touchdowns as well. Those are running back numbers, 1,200 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns. That's just a hair. That's 400 yards less than J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State and one touchdown less from J- than J.K. Dobbins, I believe. That, that would be heading into the Big Ten Championship over the weekend, so I'm not including Dobbins' stats from the Big Ten Championship. But golly, that's why Jalen Hurts is my pick to win the Heisman Trophy this year. He would be the third consecutive Oklahoma quarterback to win it after Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. I think Joe Burrow is going to end up winning it, but Jalen Hurts deserves to be right there with Burrow. I mean, he's accounting for almost 5,000 total yards, and he's 50 touchdowns combined. It's incredible to me. One person who I do feel kind of got snubbed, but it's tough with when you have as many great college football players as there are, J.K. Dobbins had a heck of a year, too. But I'm just saying. It doesn't change my pick. I think Jalen Hurts still wins it. But there are just so many great college football players in the field this year. Alrighty. That's it for episode 87 of WFS The Will Ford Show. Two-year anniversary, baby. December 10th marks it. And looking forward to the next two years. We're on the fast track, fast track to 100 episodes. We probably should have been there by now, but hey, I'm still marching. I'm still charging forward. Got four exams over the next two days. We've got two tomorrow and two on Thursday. So we're trucking through it. And after Thursday, I'm an open book, man. We'll sit down and talk a lot more. Uh, but make sure you follow the show on Twitter, at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like and comment on SoundCloud. Follow me on SoundCloud as well. Check out my YouTube channel. Just search Will Ford or The Will Ford Show. Check out some segments of my podcasts. And happy two-year anniversary, baby. We'll see you in episode 88. It's WFS. <laughs>